Good evening. Wow, isn't it a wonderful, warm evening? Don't you love it? Yeah, the weather, it's great right now, especially when you're outside um, at like 1.30. It's perfect. Love it. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Haley. Uh, such is the pitfalls okay. of sports journalism. Yeah, uh, my water bottle and sunscreen were really important. Yeah, no, I, I do not doubt that in the least. Those of you who are new to this place, this be beautiful, beautiful place that we call Arizona, please drink water. I'm not kidding. It's actually bad. I've had friends get dehydrated and have to get hospitalized. It's not a fun position to be in, and you shouldn't seek to uh, emulate their example. It was way too hot earlier today. I was not... I got into my car, and I was like, yep, it's coming back, because I felt like my back was going to burn after getting in the car today. I was like, that's how you know the warm weather's back. Oh, yes. Uh, do you have leather seats? I do, yeah. Woof. <laughs> that was my first mistake. <laughs> the worst is the hot steering wheel, and when you have like turn immediately out of a parking lot, but you can't really touch the steering wheel. Yeah. So you're like sitting there being like, how do I do this? I don't know how people do that in July. Let me tell you, that's something else. I, I don't know how I do it either. I actually drive a lot in the summer. Those of you who know me, but yeah, well, you all know I don't drive normally because I don't have access to a car 99% of the time, but in the summer, I do and i drive more and it sucks because yeah. of that and also i hate driving but that's a separate story uh, <laughs> but anyways you're listening to the review squared on blaze radio blaze radio online.com with your usual crew gideon karaoke i'm john brown and i'm Haley smila and we've got a show for you this week uh kirsten's out uh she's having the time of her life in las vegas so um she is not gambling away all of her fortunes, I promise. <laughs> but anyways, uh, we're, I announced previously on the Twitter that uh, Tori Gantz will be joining us, and she will. She's not here right now. She will be here towards the end of the episode to talk about some stuff. But we're remixing things for once, because, partly because of that. So my segment will be with Tori at the, towards the end. But we're going to start off with John this week. Thanks, Gideon. So my segment is about statelessness, which a lot of people might not know. Um, but at my internship, which is at the PBS NewsHour's West Coast affiliate, um, Stephanie Sai and producer Lena Jackson did a really good story on statelessness and interviewed two people in the D.C. area who created the United Stateless Organization. Basically, let's define a stateless person. It's someone who is under national laws who does not enjoy citizenship between a government and an individual in any country. Hence the word statelessness. It's actually super interesting because beforehand I really wasn't in tune or didn't really know a lot um, of information about what it means to be stateless. Um, just hearing this piece that aired on the news hour was super interesting to hear these stories because you're not recognized as any as citizens under the laws of any state and it's like what what do you do like you can't get a passport you can't leave the country essentially getting a job is significantly harder and it's just there's a lot that goes into it that I didn't think that would go into it before and I'm Hovering over to this news hour story that we did because I thought the um the people were just so interesting. Um they interviewed one man who has never had a vacation and works at multiple gas stations in Prince George's County, Maryland, and he works twelve hour days and he is lived alone and is worried about starting a relationship. I think that was interesting. I actually had a really good conversation with Stephanie Sai the other day about this story because I thought about what about the harm that this causes because obviously he's a stateless person and he's worried about all these things and worried about getting in trouble. But where does he go? There's so many questions like that that lingers in my head. Um, she was telling me that during the interview, um, and when I mentioned that he lives alone and he was worried about starting a relationship, 
that wasn't even on the script. That wasn't planned. That just came up in a natural conversation. And she decided to leave the opening story for that, have it have it that be the lead. And I thought that was super interesting to highlight. I think bringing his life story was super interesting and just bringing the little details of it um, is super significant. And there was one scene where um, they were both doing a ride along in the car. I'm trying to visualize it for the uh, listeners at home. And um, I think he does have a driver's license in Maryland. There is something that you can get with that for stateless individuals. And he was telling me or he was telling Stephanie that he was afraid to speed, um, afraid to drive at night, obviously because of all of these reasons. And um, his story actually began in Ethiopia. Um, he's the son of an uh, Ethiopian mother and an Eritrean father. And in 1998, the neighboring countries went to war, and his father was in prison and then deported to Eritrea. Um, he was 24 at the time, and his siblings and his mother stayed in Ethiopia. And he was detained by the Ethiopian government. And it's just, uh, they detained him by these government officers because of his Eritrean ethnicity. And he told Stephanie during the report that they tortured him and he had these scars on his head um, and neck and more. And his mother actually encouraged him to flee the country and come to the United States. And that's when he went to the immigration office and they confiscated his passport because his passport was Ethiopian. So hearing this story overall, it's it's really interesting to get background because you're in like a limbo point of what do you do? It always comes back to the question of what do you do? What is the solution to this? And going back to my original point when I was first doing this story um, and reading over it with people at News Hour, what can we do to help? Because I feel that a lot of news organizations haven't covered this and that a lot of people aren't familiar with stateless individuals. Um, so I'd like to turn it to you guys to what you think about uh, statelessness and the story that was covered. It's just awful. The fact that, you know, he has to live in fear of just basic things that we take for granted. You know, just getting into a relationship with somebody is a big, huge mess because of a situation that he honestly could not control. Like, you know, that kind of strife where he has no proof that he's a citizen of any nation on Earth, yeah. which and, you know, I described it when we were talking because we were talking about this in the newsroom before we got in here. I described it as basically purgatory. It's you're stuck in this state uh, between, you know, between having the full rights of somebody who has legal recognition and, you know, just not being legally recognized in a place or not. And this is a, this is the worst of all worlds. This is a you don't belong anywhere it's level. dehumanizing yes it is it, it is and you know it made me think about the after the you know the introduction to this i was thinking about uh, the one stateless situation i am vaguely familiar with actually um in kenya the, um, there's a couple of state uh, stateless tribes there but uh one of them i'm going to talk about real quick here are the nubians and the Long story short on them, and I'm not going to do this story justice at all, um, but basically the long story short with the Nubians is back when the British were, you know, building the railway, uh, the Uganda railway through Kenya, they brought in Nubians who are a, from Sudan, and they were kind of acting as, you know, as the security uh, during this part, uh, as one of their roles. And when, you know, afterwards as a kind of payment get you know let them stay on this land in this uh uh place in what is now Nairobi um that was called that they called Kibra today most people in Kenya would tell uh, know that place as Kibera um i believe that if i recall correctly the term the word Kibra means woods or something of the sort in Nubian 
if I'm and it, by the way, if I'm getting this all wrong, someone please feel free to correct me. Um, but anyways, they didn't get official title to the land was the trouble. And, you know, when Kenya got independence in the uh, 60s uh, and since then, they just have not been recognized. I'm actually looking at an article here that's from March of this year. This is from The Star, a newspaper in Kenya, and saying you know that the new that the community the nubian community is still calling on the government for official recognition uh so yeah because of you know the british not actually you know giving them title to their land and all that it's been kind of a, a horrible situation and they can't get like national ids which in kenya that is that is your existence if you don't have a national id you you can't get anything so it's really, really awful um, that, 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 that this has been a problem for years and years and years. They got some official recognition under the law, like nominally after the 2010 Constitution was promulgated. But yeah, it no statelessness. It, I, I use that story to say like statelessness is horrible. It, it's dehumanizing. It, it's literally the single worst thing ever that could one of the worst things that is that can happen to you as a person because you know the fact is we, we we live in the age of states you know once upon a time you know if some rando wanted to decide to impose his rule on you and i it almost always was men but not exclusively um if some rando wanted to impose his rule on you you could say nah i'm moving to the middle of nowhere and <laughs> i'll rule myself <laughs> that's yeah. not true anymore yeah like Gideon just said, I mean, this is really terrible. My first thought upon hearing you talk about this story was obviously good job, the reporters. Thank you for shedding light on this situation. But secondly, what leads to statelessness? Um, so I did a Google while you were looking at telling your story. Um, and it seems like there's lots of things that can lead to it. What you were saying is a fairly common reason. Also, just simply not having a birth certificate Yeah, I, um, seems to be a big problem here. I'm... I'm looking on the State Department's website. Yeah, I think we're on the same website. Because yes. I was like, this is, you know, yeah. I was like, all right, what are, what are the problems here? Scrolling down on that website, it did talk about how it can be helped. Um, and it talks about universal birth registration in that, which is kind of surprising that that's not just like a thing. Right. And that we don't just give people birth certificates. I didn't realize that like you were registering for something like that. And this almost seems like some weird sort of attack in some ways on people of minority communities potentially or could lead to areas of that I don't oh think... no no mo most definitely um and it's just it's interesting to see because i think some people in the u.s think that every everywhere else is this going to be like the u.s for example not every country has a consulate or embassy and another country like the u.s yeah. may have not everyone has the privileges to that like if someone gets their passport stolen or something happens to them in another country, they can go to a consulate or an embassy. But not the reality is not every country has that privilege. And it's just I think it's translated from so many people who think that um, other countries are just going to be like the United States. And that's just not true. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know. I grew up in New York, and there's a lot of embassies there for European countries, for sure, and countries that America is aligned with. But, like, random African countries that aren't as well-known, I don't know where you find those embassies easily. Right. right. Uh, most Because of the U.S. having relations with most of the world, you'll find almost all of them in D.C. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But even then— But, you know, you've got to get to D.C. Exactly. And That's not easy to do if you're stateless. No. And also, I will say, like, you know, I have relatives, you know, the vast majority of my family are Kenyan citizens. Like, dealing with the embassies and consulates is a messy stuff. And that's just coming from the experience of Kenya. I don't know what the experience would be with dealing with the Ethiopian embassy or anything, so— right. right. Yeah, it's just, it, it's more attention needs to be given to this because I think a lot more people would be familiarized. And um, I think it's definitely something for the Biden administration to start tackling um, just because it's a problem that really hasn't had any light 
like shined on it until recently, which I really appreciate about what PBS NewsHour does. It really shines a light on stories that aren't really typically covered, which I super appreciate. And um, just a little backstory on how this story idea came to life. So um, the producers, um, she was doing um, research. I think it was on a story about pregnant woman at the southern border and somehow she managed to get a tip from someone about the united stateless organization and um the problems of dealing with statelessness and the story just panned out it's and it's a really good story and i'll end it by if you guys don't have anything else to say i'll, I'll end it by um to checking out news hours report um, it's called Hundreds of Thousands of Stateless People Are Living in Le Legal Limbo in the U.S., and it's by Stephanie Sai and producer Lena Jackson. I'll just jump in to say real quick, not that this is what the story is about and wish this be your takeaway, but sometimes journalism can be really cool. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get to tell cool stories and read cool stories. And when you come across them, go go read them or look at them or tweet them. That's how journalism is spread. It, it, it is a word of mouth thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, certainly. Well, yeah, no, great story that uh, that PBS NewsHour covered there. I'm. It's a, it's one of those issues that, I, you know, not too many people think about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, thank you, John. And uh, unusually, in the middle of the show, onward to sports with Haley. Yeah, this feels a bit weird. Um, <laughs> unusual. So before I get into the meat of my segment, I want to give a quick shout out to Sun Devil Lacrosse. Usually they don't get too much coverage, which is a problem, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, to shed some light on them, today the Maroon and Gold took on the Pac-12 reigning Pac-12 champions and number 23 at Stanford after being ranked for the first time this season at number 25. Surprisingly, and in good form, they took down the Cardinal 18-11, after they lost them earlier this season on the road 19-11. Standouts of the game included Emily Glagolev, Carly Adams, and Taylor Pinzone, who each scored five goals. That's a pretty standout performance from those three. But now to get into the meat of my segment, I'm going to start with a quick question. John, Gideon, what day is it today? Friday. The, okay, yeah, yes. it's the 8th yep. of April. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is the 8th of April, but that means yesterday was opening day, and if you've listened to our show for long enough, you would know that baseball is my favorite sport, and I think I enjoy talking about the most as far as sports goes. But other sports are important too, but finally baseball is back after a pretty crazy offseason with lockout and all mm -hmm. sorts of chaos there. So, after watching some of the games, looking on Twitter a lot, and reading a fair amount of things, here's seven different takeaways in no particular order. So I'm going to get things started with the Anaheim Angels. Shohei Otani is a player who plays both ways. He pitches and he hits. And he made history yesterday. He became the first player in the MLB to open the game for his team and throw the first pitch and also be in the leadoff spot. So that's pretty cool. Now we're going to head over to Arizona. And uh, anyone who's in Arizona probably knows about this story already. But Seth Beer homered on Beer Day to win the game for the D-backs in the bottom of the ninth inning. And now the D-backs are currently playing. I'm going to check what the score is real quick just to give you a live update there. It is 0-0 on the top of the third, and they're doing a beer promotion. But the thing here is that you Darvish, who's the Padres pitcher, was throwing a no-hitter for six innings. So it's pretty crazy that the D-backs came back to win that one. It's their first opening day wins since 2018, so congrats to the D-backs. Now we're going to move over to the St. Louis Cardinals, who ended up beating the Pirates 9-0. Adam Wainwright got the start on the mound because of an injury for their ace, and he was able to record six shutout innings and six strikeouts, and the bats were on fire too. Former D-back Paul Goldschmidt reached base five times, Nolan Arenado homered in the eighth inning, just like he did last season, but most importantly, Albert Pujols is back in the gateway to the West and has reunited with teammates Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Moving on over to the East Coast now, the Mets are actually doing okay without Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, who are two of the best pitchers in the MLB for anyone who doesn't know. 
Tyler McGill opened up for the Mets, and he struck out six batters in five scoreless innings and led the Mets to a 5-1 to victory over rivals the Washington Nationals. On top of that, birthdays are pretty special, especially for Jeff McNeil, who was turning 30 and hit a homer on his birthday. The Yankees and the Red Sox faced off on opening day. The rivalry continues, and fortunately, the Yankees were able to get it done, or in my case, fortunately, sorry, Red Sox fans. <laughs> the Yankees won in the bottom of the 11th in a 6-5 to result off of a Josh Donaldson walk-off hit, and more importantly, the Yankees had a Ukrainian kid sing the national anthem to open up the game, so good stance there from them. For Javi Baez, his debut on the Tigers couldn't have gone any better. In the bottom of the ninth, he took the Tigers to a 5-4 to win over their division rivals, the Chicago White Sox. And finally, for you non-sports fans, there was something pretty exciting, too, coming from the Phillies. Gideon, you want to play the sound real quick? Ladies and gentlemen... The most beloved mascot in sports, your Philly Fanatic! So, there you go. There's a sound from that. The Phillies mascot, the Philly Fanatic, flew into Citizens Bank Park in a red, white, and blue parachute. It was pretty exciting. You can find that on the Phillies Twitter or Cut 4. Or just Google Phillies Fanatic, and I'm sure it would come up. But those are some takeaways from the MLB, and I couldn't be happier that it is back in a full swing yeah no sounds like games or go ahead Gideon oh sorry no No, um I did not watch any games but I did see the D-backs result which was insane because once again I saw you know first I was just looking at Twitter it said there was a no hitter going on for multiple innings I'm like this sounds like pain (laughs) suffering the usual Diamondbacks fan package um and it wound up turning from pain and suffering after six innings to just one of the most insane moments we've had in a hot minute. So I got to say, Seth Beer, uh, <laughs> hats off to you this evening and <laughs> truly an insane moment. And also big fan of the Philly Fanatic. Uh, I, I, I've said this before. I pro- I've almost certainly said this before on this show. The Philly Fanatic is one of my favorite mascots of any team. Yeah, he seems to have these special opening day moments. I think last season for opening day, I did something similar, and he did something crazy. I don't remember exactly what it was. And we'll see if uh, Seth Beer's home run sets the tone for the D-backs this season. Maybe they can turn things around. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they... they could use it. Um, I mean, for those of you who have even been having half an eye on the D-backs in the past couple years, it has been uh, not a fun time. It has been nothing but <laughs> a mixture of pain and suffering, and that's what makes those moments so sweet. Yeah, it's been pretty rough. Fortunately, their neighbors uh, in the Phoenix Suns have been doing well and clinched the playoffs so good for the suns that's a little bit more exciting the yes sports news oh Uh, definitely i I was gonna say i know the cubs played the milwaukee brewers yesterday yes but (laughs) i do not know the score and i don't even know if they won Haley, do you You know know? i don't know what the score is but i'm gonna look it up real quick so we can get an update there the cubs won five to four so good job cubs good good um it looks like, yeah, they scored three in the fifth and then kind of just carried it on from there, but it looks like it was a bit of a back-and-forth game. Yeah, I think it's so interesting to see with the Cubs because even in 2016, I think it was 2016 when they won the World Series, Yeah, it was like uh, they have this thing called the Curse of the Billy Goat. Yeah. And it's hilarious because I think they went on like a 110 or a 100-year drought yep. without winning the World Series. And it's definitely very interesting. They got rid of like most of their good yeah, players the last like, year. Yeah, the team is like totally different now, which is strange. It and is like Anthony Rizzo and yeah. who? Who else am I? Chris trying? Bryan isn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the core of that Cubs team that won the World Series. So. Right, right. Are you are you a Mets or Yankees fan? I'm a Yankees fan. Interesting. Um, yeah. So American League Baseball for me, but. Uh, I mean, I guess, sure, if the Mets win, I'm not, not happy, but, <laughs> you know, um, I'd prefer a Yankees game to be the winning team in New York, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, this, uh, 
that sounds like just uh, from what you're saying, an absolutely fun opening day and, and so sweet after such a long time delayed. Yeah, it was definitely very exciting. And it was kind of cool that it actually got carried out to kind of be two days yesterday. And a lot of the opening day games were also today for a range of things and scheduling. But also there was a couple of rainouts. Um, that's not something we get here in Arizona, fortunately, or unfortunately, sometimes it'd be nice if there was rain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, a lot of the games were delayed, so it was kind of cool that it was a two-day opening day thing. Pretty exciting for fans. Again, it's baseball's returned after a while of weirdness with COVID and lockout and all sorts of different things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a fun time and, uh, Yes, I am looking forward to all the fun promotions that uh, <laughs> m- many a team are going to do. If you want to hear more on fun promotions that teams do, um, the minor leagues have a lot of those. Up on deck on Blaze Radio. It's uh, Wednesdays at 9. Talks <laughs> we a bit a about. Plug. Yeah, no, I-, I love Up on Deck. They're cool. Um, and they always do this segment at the end where they're. It's like a. Like a a game where it's like a different minor league promotions. Did it happen or not? Nice. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, just because the MLB is back doesn't mean you should stop watching minor league baseball or college baseball. They're competitive and interesting, too, and are the future generation, the future stars. And uh, if you like baseball, then continue to watch those things. If you don't, that's okay. I uh, I can't agree with you, but that's okay. You can watch other things. Yeah, definitely. And... I guess with that, uh, if there's nothing else, we're going to take a few minutes break. We'll be back um, with Tori Gantz um, to talk about labor. Y- you'll you'll understand. We'll be back with the Review Squared on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. Stay tuned. <laughs> Okay, we're back. This is the Review Squared on Blaze Radio on BlazeRadioOnline.com, as it is every Friday. Uh, I am so very excited to welcome our guest this evening. Tori, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I am. I am here. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Good. So yeah, Tori, do you, before we get into the segment, do you want to tell them, uh, those listening at home a bit about yourself? Sure. Hello, everybody. Everyone. Everybody, indeed. Um, my name is Tori Gantz, and I'm a third-year student at Cronkite. I'm a journalist, and uh, I'm at the politics desk right now at State Press. Specifically, my favorite coverage is labor coverage. Um, also, voting rights, anything to do with sort of campaigns, elections, and um, what is deemed so-called affirmative action, right? Um I am also a Blaze member. Catch me Wednesday afternoons um, DJing. And I'm from Wisconsin. That's a little bit about myself. What part of Wisconsin? Green Bay. Oh, wow. My dad lived in Green Bay. Okay. Um, my mom's family's from like northern Wisconsin near like Wausau. And now they live like in Kenosha and like near like Milwaukee and everything. I'm from uh, outside of Chicago, so I was like, oh, I have to ask. Yes. Okay. We don't say the K word this year, Kenosha, you know, but um, I'd say that's about two and a half, two and a half, three hours from where I'm from. That was a great reaction, by the way. I was expecting more of like a, that's a state, you know, or like, (laughs) what are you guys even known for? That's what I usually get. Well, no, I mean, I'll go back to about Kenosha. It's, it's, I mean, it's interesting. There's so much I could get into about Kenosha. Oh, yeah. Um, my my aunt and uncle have lived there since, like, the 1980s. And obviously when things happened there, um, it got... There's, there's just so much I could go into. I totally see where you're coming from, and I totally agree with you. That is a whole separate episode. It Maybe is. you can come back for that. I'd love to have a conversation because I was talking about that in my Journalism 301 class last year about that when that happened. But no, totally agree with you. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's tough to be from Wisconsin this year, especially this fall, I got to say. Not, this isn't a pity me moment, but with the Packers and sort of, um, yeah, Rittenhouse killer off our campus, it's yeah been a time. Anyway, into Gideon, the segment we proceed. for one second? Can we derail for a second longer? Yes. Tori, what do you think of Cobb's ice cream or custard? There is no better. Let me, hold on. Let me just make this brief announcement um, for anyone listening that chooses to visit the Midwest. If for some reason you decide you need to make a stop in Wisconsin and you're traveling across the prairie, you need to go to Milwaukee. You need to go to Cops. Yeah. You need to get the ice cream with the little wafer on the top. You need to let it melt in your mouth and eat those big greasy fries and enjoy a cheese curd. It's just tradition. They even wear the little hats like that yeah, burger. Make, That's like, what I know Milwaukee for. I yeah. had to derail for a second. I was I like, so hold appreciate. on, hold on. I love that. Um, and we will definitely... Maybe one day if I visit you, if you're back home, we'll have to go there. Anytime, if you'd like to visit, there is absolutely, you know, not that much to do, except we will go to cops. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, anyways, yeah, no, thank you so much, Tori. But yeah, we're going to get right into the segment and our discussion. Uh, so this week, let's talk about unions again. So this segment is a follow-up to parts of my segment in the previous episode, the Discontented from November, which you can find wherever you get podcasts. So back then, I was talking about the phenomenon of quote-unquote striketober, and specifically mentioned that Starbucks Worker United announced that workers, or partners in the Starbucks lingo, at the store on, the, on Power and Baseline were forming a union. At the end of February, that store for, voted 25-3 to form a union, according to the state press. That article was written by Tori Gantz, who is, as you all know, here. Hey. <laughs> and she'll tell us more about that in a bit. But so some of the reasons cited by the workers there for voting for a union were staffing levels, pay disparities, and COVID safety guidelines. So since I last mentioned it, the Starbucks unionization campaign has gained steam. Massive steam. Dozens and dozens and dozens of stores have announced that they're joining. Um and hundreds hundreds yeah <laughs> thank you tori and even just keeping our focus on arizona for the sake of brevity and focus at the end of march another arizona st store actually specifically in mesa um at crimson and southern won their union vote 11-3 multiple other stores in the valley have since announced they are unionizing also, those being the stores at 7th Avenue and Bell, Gilbert and McKellops, 107th Avenue and Indian School, and also Mayo and Scottsdale. So that last one on Mayo and Scottsdale has actually made news in recent days, as Layla Dalton, a union organizer and ASU student, was fired this Monday, according to 12 News. Dalton alleged that she was falsely accused of illegally taping a conversation between her and a manager, which I should note, and that article does note, is not a crime in Arizona as we are in a one-party consent state as far as taping. The National Labor Relations Board has previously said that Dalton was illegally punished for raising issues at the store and that is pending an administrative hearing. So the story of the Starbucks union is by, you know, portrayed by many, and, and I agree with this uh, portrayal here, of a story of ordinary people staring down a large corporation and winning something, though not without cost, as the case of Layla Dalton would tell you. And also the road to a union contract is long, doubly so when the employer is fighting unionization like Starbucks is. This is a human story, and to hear more on that, I want to open up the discussion to the panel by first asking Tori, even before we get to the details here, so what is the larger context with Starbucks? Yeah, so um, I broke, well, not broke, but from a student perspective, and I just want to start by sort of prefacing what I believe um, and I saw with Layla with... Um, the, the drive that I covered in Mesa, um, as well as all of these across the country, is that this is a majority um, adult youth led movement. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is young people, right? Uh, a lot of headlines are like, generation union. Um, and so I sort of want to put in the national context today of the most recent developments. Um, so store by store, obviously, the union drive at Starbucks is growing. More than 200 locations, as I noted, have filed for their union elections. And so far, 13 have successfully unionized in um, the United States. And today, uh, four more star stores joined them. So, yeah, that's... That's right. Today, um, the NLRB and every day, not every day, literally, but um, over the past few months, many days, um, the NRLB is counting votes. So these four different Starbucks elections did indeed um, secure their campaigns today. Three of the stores are in Ithaca, New York, and one is over in Overland Park, Kansas City, Kansas. That's a suburb of Kansas City. And as I noted, the union has won 13 out of their 14 elections so far. So um, in terms of a success rate, some would say that's pretty good. Um, but those votes have been pretty close. And I definitely don't want to discount that fact. Similar to sort of the almost nerve-wrackingly close Amazon union vote that occurred recently um, on Staten Island as well. Starbucks is now taking a pretty serious anti-union campaign. And not only did we see that with the transfer of um, CEO position from Kevin Johnson to Howard Schultz amidst all of these sort of, I want to call them petitions to the NLRB about Starbucks's behavior. Um, workers specifically today in Springfield, Illinois, said all kinds of weird things have been happening at their store. What I essentially tried to do, if you read the piece in the state press from a few months ago, is, is paint out um, for folks what these weird, quote unquote, things are that are happening. Because on the face of them, um, many would say this is not a repressive labor practice. So let me put it in context for you and tell me, anyone on the panel, if you would be like comfortable if this happened in your workplace, right? Five new people were suddenly hired at this Starbucks in Springfield. And the barista trainer at the store, who's also one of the union organizers, usually trains folks, not allowed to train them. They said their hours have been cut. They've had all these one-on-one -on -one meetings with their store manager. Now, uh, uh, these are called captive audience meetings, according to Starbucks, and the general counsel at the NLRB moved this week to ban such meetings as an unfair labor practice. To their surprise, the district manager has also shown up to some of your shifts now, if we're putting yourself in these shoes, right? And managers claim that unionizing is like this gamble, that they could lose their benefits, some of the workers, and that one worker in particular could lose an opportunity to be promoted. So you have to admit, like, all of this does sound a little bit intimidating, and that's just the base level behavior of discussing what a union is um, in the workplace, just being in that back room with a couple of folks. So Starbucks is sort of engaging allegedly in these unfair labor practices, and the NLRB is starting to look into some of the claims, including a few involving workers who are fired. We can talk about so many things. Layla is a great example of this locally, um, but there also is uh, a movement called the of course, I'm going to blank on it now when I think about them. The Memphis Seven, that's right. And a few weeks ago, they were all fired. Um, so that's an interesting campaign as well. I just sort of wanted to add the national context of what's going on there. And I have a lot more to say about sort of Howard Schultz and the benefits that Starbucks claims to offer for their workers um, and a little bit more about their demands as well. But I want to give the panel a chance to debrief some of that. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, reading all of this, I have to admit, I was not the most familiar with this at first, just because, um, I mean, it is a very in-depth subject, but um, I did hear about Layla, um, I think she, she works at, or she did work at a North Scottsdale location, and I did read about her story, and I thought that was super interesting. And one thing that I took from the article that I really thought was interesting and that you wrote a really good article, Tori, 
where it says unionization rates were the lowest in food preparation and serving-related occupations in 2021, with 3.1% of workers also being members of a union. Um, and then in addition, workers aged 16 to 24 had the lowest membership rate at 4.2%. And I think you highlighted that when you were talking about that, Tori. Yeah. But I think it was super interesting just reading that stat from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And um, there was another quote that I thought was super interesting where it says, we do not believe unions are necessary at Starbucks because we know that the real issues are solved through our direct partnerships mm. with one another. Yeah. The website reads. That just sounds like, I mean, I can't say it on air, but it sounds like not a good statement. It sounds blanketed. It sounds like it was pre-written and has no thought to it. Like it's not even countering or actually solving the issue or attempting to address the issue. It's just you're putting it out there for damage control. It's a little bit illogical, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so Howard Schultz, that's kind of the part that I didn't mention. So I'll just give a little bit more of this context that I have specifically addressing that. Um, it's an interesting time at Starbucks because amid this campaign after... Kevin Johnson, who's the CEO of Starbucks, mm -hmm. um, spent 13 years leading the company. He told them at this town hall on April 4th, which is the middle of last week, right? Uh, we can't ignore what's happening in the country right now as it relates to companies throughout the country. This is a quote. Being assaulted in many ways by the threat of unionization. Um, and that's from Howard Schultz. So he spoke at this town hall thing on Monday saying companies across the nation are being assaulted by unionization. Just got to repeat that for what it's worth. And that's how he sees what's going on, right? He doubles down on what he has said about unions in the past. Basically, his stance is we don't need them at Starbucks. We've made this a great place to work. And um, now I promise to also reimagine Starbucks as a company with employees at its center was his clincher on that town hall. So just for context, I mean, Starbucks does give generous benefits. They give health care. They give edu education benefits, even stock options for full time, part time employees. Many ASU students have gone to college for free. But at the national level, just like here, they want more consistent schedules. Workers at Starbucks want to change how it handles tipping. They want to raise, but they also want more of a voice in the company. Um, and so sort of this response that I heard um, from Tyler Ralston in the article and also Veronica Brown and another student called Zachariah Schwartz, who's an ASU online student that couldn't make the deadline for the article, but has some really great points about the benefits that Starbucks does not provide and the assumptions that financially it makes through its education program with ASU, which I briefly highlight in the article. But again, that could be its whole own story. Um, are, that's such a bizarre argument that there's someone getting in between Starbucks and their workers. They're like, we are your workers. The union isn't like a third party. It's yeah. us. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a huge misconception with unions. And this is not to say that there aren't badly run unions where, you know, people aren't, they're not being run well and, and, and such. I, I'm not here to defend that. What I am here to say is, generally speaking, unions are ran by their membership and are required by law to be democratically ran. You can't, yeah. Like and the idea of a quote unquote union boss is just uh, quite frankly drivel. Yeah, which is like a broad generalization to go by because then in this Amazon claim, right, it's a specific case of a worker who is no longer employed with the company leading the union, which is one of the reasons why that story is also um, sort of significant. But I will say in response to that, um, <laughs> these workers have been telling folks the captive audience programs that are now illegal like, they're essentially, yeah, intimidation threats. Right. Um, um, actually, there's a really good... I'm not sure if you've, any of you here have watched it. Uh, this interesting documentary, American Factory on Netflix. Um, I haven't seen it. It's, a, it's an interesting one. I highly recommend it. Um, it kind of talks about, like, the a unionization campaign at a... I think it was, like, a windshield manufacturing factory in Ohio. 
and you know this was this town in ohio used to have like you know a car plant but you know like a lot of the midwest very deindustrialized, and those jobs went away and this chinese company comes in and is manufacturing windshields they're paying a lot less than the you know the old companies used to and you know when they had these strong unions that pretty viciously fought and, and when i say viciously fought i mean like in some cases went to war <laughs> uh you know and in the worst and most extreme cases uh to secure you know what is theirs you know decent working conditions and but in this case in the there was a whole attempt by a, a, a union there and i'm forgetting which one um to you know to unionize this factory and it's kind of the whole thing is focusing on the union campaign those who supported it within the factory organizers and the management response and the management was squealing was pretty not happy with it of course uh, and is responding very similar to schultz here at starbucks yeah um i just want to go back to sort of um what john said and the address here that I want to be like your not only workplace daddy, but like your union daddy, like I want to take care of you in every capacity possible. And that's why I'm turning away your voices. Sort of that logic. Um, I mean, it's rank paternalism. Yeah. I well, mean, the, the, some would say. Yeah, yeah. Some, I mean, I, I could, I, I'm speaking for myself here. I, I think that's rank paternalism. And, you know, just saying the, I can take care of all your needs and whatever. And it, it, it's, it's kind of like, well, it seems like enough of your workers disagree. Like, you might, I mean, you, with the caveat that, yes, a lot of these votes have been closed, but some of them haven't. <laughs> A yeah. lot of them have not, and that's kind of a problem. Oh, no. Folks are still filing every day. So how? here's how you can keep up with the day-to-day -day work that I, like this specific Dalton story, have not been covering. And I just want to affirm um, that, again, sort of like a youth-led movement, especially given the statistics from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that John pointed out. Um, and I mean, you can look at any, right, sort of unionization or labor data, um, in the last two years, in the last year, and see that the youth are not only finding out the nuances of how complicated this is, but recognizing that, like, it is a right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. the National Labor Relations Act clearly says it is a, you have a right to organize. So when I talked with a lot of these workers, especially the students um, in Mesa, they said, well, it's great. We have all these benefits that are offered to us, except as college students, which apply? Yeah. Like, and so how do we benefit from these benefits? And are they really benefits or are they these sort of, I, I spoke with uh, Professor McQuarrie at the Center for Work and Democracy here at ASU. And he explained it to me like this, corporations will hire these massive sort of anti-union lawyers and pay them a whole bunch of money. These litigators have what's essentially a toolkit for how to co-opt the strategies of workers. Um, and that toolkit includes uh, a massive corporate offering package of things like a Disney trip, right? And I want Medicare, I want, but then this, for example, ASU online student Zechariah Schwartz come to me and he says, well, I'm enrolled in the ASU Starbucks program and I get all my education from ASU and Starbucks and it's great, um, except the one thing they don't cover are textbooks. Any college student knows that textbooks can range from $20 to $500. He says, I'm not being paid minimum wage to make my rent. I'm not getting tips because Starbucks took away tipping during COVID. Also, they ignored our our safety precaution concerns during COVID. We didn't have enough people to work the window. It was closed, et cetera, all the things that happened during COVID um, that sort of undermine workplace safety. And I can't pay for my textbooks. 
And that's the one part they expect me to pay for, right? So like sort of this, you're you're saying you're here for us. You're saying you offer all these things and, and where do your actions lie? And for that, I would say, you know, look at, look at the mass wealth accumulation of Kevin Johnson and Howard Schultz. Look at how much Starbucks has increased its capital by um, in the past few months. I didn't have room to include any of that in the article, but those are great statistics as well. Senator Bernie Sanders did a live stream um, with a bunch of students. And I just want to plug this as well, because it's, I mean, they address ASU's Starbucks program specifically and the flaws that it has in it in this town hall, where he brings on a bunch of youth from across the country and says, what are you demanding? Why are you demanding it? Why are people not taking you seriously? And what the heck would you say to Starbucks? Um, and there's a lot, a lot of more really great concrete, um, like labor and economic facts, um, on that. Wow. Live stream. So check it out. Well, thank you so much, Tori. We are unfortunately running very thin on time here. So um, where can they find you and your work? Uh, I believe I'm at Gantz Tori on Twitter. Let me just double check. That's I think so. right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, and if you're talking about me to your friends, please use the appropriate pronoun of they. And also um, check out my Spotify playlist. Catch me on Wednesday afternoons DJing on Blaze. And I hope to be back again talking about unions or Kenosha or labor, voting rights, whatever it may be. I was so excited to be here. Thank you for having me today. Thank you, Tori. Yeah, yeah thank you so much. I'm, I've been looking forward to having you on for so long. I know... Fun fact, Tori's a big Review Squared fan, so. I am. And you know, if you're listening and you're like, wow, all that just totally went over my head, check out More Perfect Union on Twitter, follow the updates, check out all those those links I mentioned, but also understand that this is a nuanced issue and most youth need to be educated about their labor rights. So take this as an opportunity to ensure that you understand what you have a legal right to do in your workplace and what you don't so that this situation can potentially um, you know, be prevented depending on the company. And also, when you go to your local Starbucks, I'm just gonna say that um, they would they would prefer you order with uh, a hashtag support the union on your cup. So, just putting that coffee. out there. Anyways, uh, we are over time now. Um, follow us on Twitter at review underscore squared. You can find us wherever you get podcasts. Goodbye, have a good night, and we'll be back next week. The song at the start of the episode is Dedicated to the Press by Betty Davis, and the music you hear is by Springtime.